This message comes from NPR sponsor, Acorn TV. Acorn TV is brilliant television told brilliantly. From charmingly cozy mysteries to daringly dark dramas. Visit acorn.tv for a 30-day free trial with promo code NPR. Acorn TV. Brilliant. When the Best Man franchise kicked off in 1999, it tapped into a specific kind of black Gen Xer sensibility. It had an all-star cast, including Tay Diggs and Nia Long. It explored the very messy dynamics of a tight-knit group of young urban professionals. And it had drama in spades, secrets, scandals, and long-simmering sexual tension. Now the crew has reunited for one last hurrah in a miniseries on Peacock. Everyone's a little older, but are they wiser? I'm Aisha Harris, and today we're talking about The Best Man, The Final Chapters on Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. Support for NPR and the following message come from FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming only on Hulu. Joining me today is the host of NPR's It's Been a Minute, Brittany Luce. Hey, Brittany. Hello, hello. Also here is Ronald Young Jr., who's the host of the film and television review podcast, Leaving the Theater. Hi, Ronald. Hello, Aisha. And also with us is the co-host of the podcast, Fanti, journalist Travel Anderson. Welcome back, Travel. Hi. Hey. Let's get into it. There's a lot of characters to talk Ooh. about, so <laughs> a lot of things to talk about. The Best Man, the final chapter, spans several years and many characters, as I've already mentioned, following the events of the 2013 movie sequel, The Best Man Holiday. Tay Diggs plays Harper, who is now a successful author whose debut novel is being adapted into a movie. Sanaa Lathan plays his wife, Robin, who runs a meal kit business. Morris Chestnut is retired NFL player, Lance. He's still grieving the death of his wife, Mia. And Neil Long's Jordan is a top TV executive, single, and still a workaholic. There's also, of course, hotel magnate Q and reality TV star Shelby, who's played by Terrence Howard and Melissa DeSouza. They have some unresolved romantic tensions they're still dealing with. And Merch and Candace, played by Harold Perrineau and Regina Hall, are co-founders of a charter school. The series was created by Malcolm D. Lee, who wrote and directed the two Best Man films. And Dana Lynn North is the co-writer and co-showrunner. All eight episodes are streaming on Peacock, and we'll be talking about all of them. So just a heads up in case you like to go into these things completely cold. Travel, let's start with you. How did you feel about The Best Man, The Final Chapters? So I should say that when it was first announced that we were getting a series, I actually was kind of excited, right? Because the 2013 movie, like you mentioned, right, it ends with this cliffhanger about whether or not Terrence Howard's character is, like, getting married. And I was like, Mm. oh, great, they're going to wrap this up real (laughs) cute-like, and it will be just kind of a nice end to these characters that we've grown to love over all these years. And then I watched it. My grandmother used to have a saying, you know, when she would tell people, just leave well enough alone. (laughs) And I think we should have left well enough alone. Wasn't that everyone's grandmother's saying? (laughs) (laughs) You know, here's the thing. They pick back up immediately after the that cliffhanger, right? In the sequel. We do have a wedding that happens. 
I'll say that the first two episodes feel like a yeah. movie by themselves, yeah. and then we switch to a whole different, you know, narrative. Uh-huh. Yes. If you read any of the interviews that Malcolm D. Lee has done, he basically kinds of says that, right? That he was planning yes. for it to be the best yep. man wedding. And then Peacock popped up, and they were like, we'll make it into a series. So it feels like that. And so I would say for the listeners, at least get past the second episode because yes. the show turns into something completely different that I think is a lot more enjoyable, even though, you know, I want to fight some people. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. So many thoughts about that, especially because there are certain characters who pop up in the first two episodes who then do not show up for the rest of the series, which is gives it that movie quality feel. Mm. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Brittany, how about you? What was your response to this? I was very caught off guard by the third episode of the series because in the first episode, they're on location. It's giving tropical and that follows in the second episode. So at the beginning of the second episode, I was like, okay, this is where we're going to stay. We're going to stay here. We're going to be in the islands. This is great. Group of Black people out here in the Caribbean having a good time. That's going to end with a wedding and bing, bam, boom. And then suddenly we went back to New York and then all this other stuff started happening. (laughs) I was so confused. It kind of felt to me that like you kind of could watch the whole series without seeing the first two episodes. Like you could just read recaps or have someone just tell you, hey, this is what happened. They're trying to complete the goals of a movie in the first two episodes, but while also setting up little things for the series. So then the time isn't used effectively. And then I remember feeling by the the middle of the second episode, like I was anxious that I wasn't going to get any time with these characters because I felt like as soon as somebody would start to have an interesting thought or something like we're getting into some of the naughtiness of middle age. And then they would, you know, go off and have like a drug trip together. (laughs) (laughs) This very sort of like cliched scene. Once they return to New York and you kind of see everybody in their familiar roles, or in some cases really struggling with their familiar roles and trying to figure out what else they want out of life. I thought that stuff was a lot more interesting, but yeah, I also thought there were some things that could be a little bit more fleshed out. I think your question is very good. They're older, but are they wiser? Mm-hmm. They were just like older young people, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. What I will say though, is that something that did get me is that all of the actors are so charming. Yes. And some yes. of them have such great chemistry Absolutely. with each other. And some of them have become more skilled as actors. I, mean, I thought they were already yes. very good back then, but mm. some of them have become even more skilled as actors in the intervening time. And seeing them together gave me that kind of like, I don't know, it was heartwarming. I did feel a tinge of disappointment at looking at some of these actors and being like, dang, like y'all deserve a little bit more than Peacock at this point in time. Like mm. they have a lot of white counterparts that have done much less and have much less talent and get so much more. I don't know, at points I was really excited to see some of them sort of push, you know, toward the higher registers of their range. But at other points I was like, dang, like these people are so gorgeous and talented. Like they deserve to be on a much larger screen and and given a lot more depth for their characters. But those are my thoughts. Yeah. Ronald, how about you? The Best Man is a very important franchise to me. I saw it. When I was 15 or 16 years old, my parents were very strict. So I saw this on a bus trip, on a school trip, on the way somewhere else where a teacher was being reckless and showed us a rated R movie. I was going to say, <laughs> your teacher what? was showing the best man? 
<laughs> so it shaped a lot of my first ideas about love and black love uh, growing up in those times. You know, it automatically gave me a crush on on Sanaa Lathan, on Nia Long. Like it just like th- it started from back there for me. So this series has been very important to me. Going back and watching The Best Man Holiday, which essentially is a bottle movie. It's everyone at one location and conflict arising from their relationships, which makes the chemistry between them very important. And we like the chemistry between them. That's important. And the performances are very good. Now, the scripts weren't always great. A lot of times they were doing stuff that made absolutely no sense. If you go back and watch that first movie, there's plot points in there where you're just like, wait, what? That doesn't make any sense. And sometimes the filming was a little cheap at times, you know what I mean? But the relationships and the chemistry was always there. And I think Mm -hmm. that has resonated throughout the beginning. If you go to the very end of The Best Man, they're dancing and doing the electric slide at the end of that movie. I feel something watching that scene. Mm -hmm. And you can see that they're all breaking character. They're enjoying times with each other. You can see Terrence Howard cutting up. You can see them all smiling. They're having a great time. So I'm saying all that to say, when you get to the very end of the Best Man, the final chapter series, they show a bunch of outtakes. And at that moment, I had that same feeling where I'm like, this cast just likes each other. They have chemistry. They've enjoyed watching each other grow and change. But then when you get to the actual writing and the plot and and the flow and the pacing of all of the final chapters, it is just not good at all. I think they should have just done the best man wedding, which was the original idea, Mm -hmm. which was just a third moment. Leave these characters alone and then don't tell me nothing else about them. I want to (laughs) know that they're off on an island. They floated (laughs) off and everything's fine. This is what happens when keeping it real goes wrong. Like, because there's so many real world plot elements that happened in this show that I think deserved more care and attention and somehow they were muddled throughout. Like, I mean, me personally, I think the character who was shown the least growth throughout this entire series is Lance. And by the time we get to the best man, the final chapters, I'm like, how are we still dealing with Lance from 1999? Mm -hmm. I don't want to watch this anymore. Like at some point you have to say something has affected him along the way. And you watch all these iterations where that hasn't happened at all. And so I think there wasn't enough care put into the writing of these characters who I love, but what we are enjoying is the chemistry and seeing people, beautiful black folks on screen who we all love and adore. And I think that wars against the actual execution of everything that we're watching. And I've done a deep dive into this over the last three days. I've had COVID, so I've had nothing oh. to think about this. So sorry if I sound a little manic. No, no. I think what we're all touching on here is the idea that this series felt overstuffed. And I think part of the reason that has happened is not just the fact that the first two episodes feel like they were supposed to be a movie and then they kind of jam-packed it all together. But what we've also seen over the course of this entire franchise is what was already a pretty big ensemble movie expand into adding even more characters. So yes. Candace, the Regina Hall character, and the Sanaa Lathan character, they were kind of in the background to all the drama that was happening amongst the core group. Yeah, And then in The Best Man Holiday, all of a sudden Shelby is kind of like a full character, which I'm not mad at. I really love that character. And I I think she's also had a lot of growth over the course, like especially between the last movie and the series. But now that they're all kind of, first of all, all of them, for the most part, their stars have risen over the years. And so now they're kind of getting equal billing, which is great to see. But at the same time, there are just too many characters you have to try and juggle. And even across eight Mm. episodes, there's not enough time to dedicate to all of these big things that are happening. That being said, I think I probably enjoyed it more than all of you did. 
<laughs> in part because because I definitely had all the same critiques and yeah. we'll just get into spoiler territory now here because all eight episodes have dropped and it's kind of hard to not discuss certain things. Um, mm-hmm. So be warned if you don't want to go into this completely empty, stop listening now. But I think like the fact that Tay Diggs's character disappears for two full episodes where we don't Gone. see him. But it was also very weird <laughs> yeah. to have them all sort of even still talking about him, but he doesn't show up. Yeah. Yeah. Regina Hall like is barely in the final episode. She shows up at the very end and I found it a little distracting. But I also just loved the way they at least attempted to discuss this idea of being middle age and mm not feeling as though you've accomplished what you want to accomplish. Or in the case of Harper, who is yet another character, I I, I put Lance and Harper as the two characters yes. who have absolutely changed the least. Yes. yes. What are we doing? And I think that to, to see the reckoning between Robin and Harper finally occur and her assert herself and say, I'm not going to deal with this anymore. I've been saying that since the first movie. And when he's loving towards me, I feel it. But that all takes a backseat to his work. And I don't want to be put in the back seat anymore. I don't want to be, not not anymore. Not anymore. Harper, what are you feeling? Uh, honestly, I feel attacked. I feel blind. I kind of liked seeing that, and I thought it was nice to see that happen with these characters we were familiar with. But I do want to ask you, you know, this is a movie that was stars Gen Xers and was targeted at Gen Xers, but I think we're all millennials. And yeah. so I'm curious as to how that sort of has played a part in how you view these characters. And I mean, Rodan, you talked about how you first saw it, but I'm curious how you all kind of encountered it and what it's meant to you and how it's played into your idea of what, quote unquote, Black love can look like or what those relationships can look like. Yeah, I mean, well, I feel like all of these actors or the majority of these actors that we've listed They've been in other projects all around Black love, right? Whether it's Nia Long and Love Jones, whether it's Brown Sugar, like mm-hmm. all of these folks come from this like period in in Black Hollywood that like we all look back on as like, oh, that was so good. We had all those movies in the late 90s. We had all those yes. movies in the early 2000s. And so to that point, I think the greatest performance out of all of them comes from Regina Hall. And I will say the series was worth it just to see the quick moments that we had with her Mm. really like being able to lean into her comedy bag and her drama bag. Love that. And I like seeing these characters all these years later. My issue ultimately comes with how the show tries to like situate these characters in, you know, 2022. And I think that is where the series fails the most is trying to like modernize the narrative, if you will. Like I will say we already gave the spoiler alert. So I can say this. We see this narrative between Lance and his child um, who he wants to be a, you know, football player and follow in his lead. And, you know, listen, as soon as I saw that child, I said, oh, they're going to make him gay. I need you to start talking right now. I'm non-binary, Dad. So, so what, what, does that, what does that mean, non-binary? What does that mean? Are you, are, you, are you gay? I don't know. You want to be a woman? Sometimes. Sometimes. Dad. I've always felt different. Now, they surprised me, and they made the child non-binary, okay? They went a step further. (laughs) But 
the series to me now falls into this like long line of like projects that you know try to revisit characters that we loved in the early 2000s or in the late 90s and um, just like that and just like that, yes. just like that is another example coming to yeah. america is another yeah. example yes. that pops in my head of like yeah. these older narratives that the creators have now tried to put in a modern or 2022 context and i don't think it works because all of the elements that are supposed to signal this era they aren't done well even with the non-binary child i was just like here we are yet again where the queer trans character has to be the catalyst for some cis man to go through his development. Yes. And I will say I was happy that it didn't end in a traumatic narrative mm-hmm. for that character. Praise the Lord. It tiptoed to that line. Though. Oh, it, it yeah, was it real was close. close. It was yes. real close. <laughs> they had a dancing Yeah. <laughs> And so I love seeing that, but really I just think they tried to do too much, I think is is what ultimately, you know, comes to the end of here. Same. But also they explored what it might feel like to say goodbye to a version of yourself that never materialized. You know, when you're younger, everything is possibility, possibility, possibility. I could do this. I could do that. I could be this person one day. And then you look up and time has passed and you've done all of this really incredible stuff. but It's not in line with any of those versions that you fantasized about. And it's interesting to see how the characters wrestle with what has become of their lives and, and like, you know, what are they mourning and what do they still feel like they have the energy and the room to chase? I do think that that's a really interesting dramatic conflict. I still feel like there's room pop culturally for a lot more stories like that until more of those come about. But, you know, to Sherelle's point, I think sometimes that gets lost in this whole, like, we're in our 50s now. The world's so different. How do we adjust? I think that's such an external way of thinking about the aging conflict and stories like that. I thought the show was more interesting when you saw the characters wrestling with themselves. And I wish that they had spent more time with that. I think there's room for all of these shows to exist. And I think if we want diversity and inclusion, they all have to exist, good, bad, and indifferent, whether they're tepid response, all of that. I think it's important. I'm glad that we're reaching a place where we can have shows that aren't so great. Like, everything doesn't have to be the first Black Panther. Now, I will say, while y'all were talking, it occurred to me, and this was kind of a thought that I was trying to articulate while I was taking notes, that one of the biggest flaws of The Best Man has always been in the first two iterations was that the women only existed for the men to make decisions about them. And when you have a show that's Mm -hmm. based on that premise, you now are fledging out these women characters that we basically only knew a very little about, about what they wanted this whole time. The only time that they really talked about a woman like much in this was Mia, who was basically a Mary Sue for Lance, which is absolutely ridiculous. And you have uh, Jordan, who's basically her fatal flaw is that she's career driven, which is why she's never going to get a man, you know, which they don't actually state, but they kind of demonstrate. So when we get to the final ending and we actually have Robin making an informed decision, or we have Candace making a decision, I think it could feel a little off kilter when you really haven't given any of them the opportunity to do that. Mm. And for you to shove it all down into eight episodes, I mean, when we get to the eighth episodes, there are three storylines oh, that man. are not resolved <laughs> at all. And they, they rush through <laughs> in 18 to 22 minutes. They rush through on both sides and just tie them all up in a knot. All of a sudden, Lance has changed. Lance is using they, them, all that. I said, no. It I'm going not- through it with my father right now. It does not move that quickly. Trust me. Yeah, you could take that and kind of extrapolate it across the entire series and say, 
all of these storylines. I mean, we didn't even talk about merch because they just threw that storyline together. And that, I was like, what are we talking about here? And it was a valid story. Well, let, let, <laughs> Go ahead. Let's Go briefly ahead. just say what, what happens with merch. She's played by Harold Perrineau. And basically, he's upset because when uh, Harper's movie comes out and the trailer comes out, the trailer basically, his character in the movie is basically like the the doormat he's seen as the the one who lets everyone walk over him and is questioning his masculinity and so he starts MMA <laughs> fighting and oh my god <laughs> such an incel reaction it was so bizarre yeah oh and he also has a conflict with a white woman who takes his cab yes that's sort of his midlife crisis that he's dealing with <laughs> Yeah, which each of these folks need to have an individual problem that they're wrestling with. And over the course of eight 40 to 50 minute episodes, we have to like flesh all of these out and resolve all of them. It seems like they don't have that much time in the final chapters, even though theoretically they have more time than they've ever had before. I feel like what they should have done is the entire series should have been the lead up to the wedding. Yes, it should have flipped it. And I should say... I feel like I've dragged this show this entire time. Um, but I did enjoy it. Like, I was like, oh, Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> we overall enjoyed it. And we want to know if you do check it out, what you think about The Best Man, The Final Chapters. You can find us at facebook.com slash PCHH. That brings us to the end of our show. Brittany Luce, Ronald Young Jr., and Travel Anderson, thanks you all for being here. I'm glad we got to chat about this very delightful if messy show (laughs) thank you thank you thanks for having us (laughs) and of course thank you for listening to pop culture happy hour from npr this episode was produced by ramel wood and edited by mike katziff our supervising producer is jessica reedy and hello come in provides our theme music i'm aisha harris and we'll see you all tomorrow when we'll be talking about the new film babylon This message comes from Capital One, offering commercial solutions you can bank on. Your business faces specific challenges and unique opportunities. That's why Capital One offers a comprehensive suite of financial services, custom tailored to your short and long-term goals. Backed by the expertise, strategy, and resources of a top 10 commercial bank, a dedicated team works with you to support your success and help achieve your goals. Explore the possibilities at CapitalOne.com slash commercial. This message comes from NPR sponsor BetterHelp. When you're carrying around a lot of stress, therapy is a safe space to get it off your chest. If you're considering therapy, give BetterHelp a try at BetterHelp.com slash NPR to get 10% off your first month. These days, news comes at you fast. But the truth? Getting there takes time. There's something that hasn't been disclosed yet. Embedded is a podcast that takes the time to look beyond the headlines. How how did this happen? How did we get here? With original documentary storytelling. Listen to NPR's Embedded wherever you get your podcasts.